Today we start a brand new series in the book of Ephesians entitled Conquered by Grace. Conquered by Grace. Uh, specifically the book of Ephesians, it, uh, the theme, one of the major themes of the book is the grace of God. And uh, the grace of God conquers all, doesn't it? The grace of God conquers our sin. Can I get an amen on that today? Uh, the grace of God is what sustains us and conquers sin in our daily life. It's the Spirit of God, the grace of God that gives us the strength to live out the Christian life. It is the grace of God that conquers other people's lives as well as we share Christ with them. The Spirit of God overtaking other people's lives as we lead others to uh, to Christ. And so uh, grace, grace, grace. And uh, the book of Ephesians, just to give us some context here, um, the church at Ephesus got started in Acts chapters 18 through 20. And so I encourage you to go back and read that on your own time over the next week. Acts chapters 18 through 20, we see where the Apostle Paul took Priscilla and Aquila, two Jewish uh, converts to Christ, Jewish believers in Jesus, from Corinth to Ephesus, to uh, begin to share the gospel. And uh, they were able to lead some folks to Christ there. Uh, they also ran into this preacher named Apollos and uh, began to disciple him. And Paul left there uh, on his uh, second missionary journey, left them there, Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, and a small group of believers, left them there to disciple the church and to grow it. Well, he comes back on his third missionary journey and finds that this group has expanded, it's grown, and it's strengthened. And God was doing an incredible work in Ephesus. And so the Apostle Paul stayed there actually uh, a little over three years in that location. This is, at this church, the church at Ephesus, is where the one place where the Apostle Paul actually stayed the longest out of all of the churches uh, that he started. Uh, the church was known, the church at Ephesus is known for its pastors. So Paul being one of them, uh, Timothy, uh, Paul left Timothy there to pastor. Also the apostle John himself pastored the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus is like the leading Gentile megachurch, if you will. Uh, it's, uh, they're in Asia Minor, it's located in modern day Turkey. And, uh, and this letter that he writes to them now he's writing back to this church, which is strong and a formidable church in a broken culture. He's writing now from a Roman jail cell. This is one of his four prison letters as well. And a lot to note about the city of Ephesus itself. And all this lays the groundwork, groundwork for us as we walk through this series, okay? Uh, Ephesus was the second largest city in the entire Roman Empire. And so uh, if Rome was New York, uh, Ephesus was L.A. in an American context. Port city, uh, leading <clears throat> economic center there. The, the Bank of Asia was there, what was known as Asia in those days. And uh, also they had a huge temple to the Greek goddess Artemis there. You see this in Acts chapter 20, Artemis of the Ephesians. And uh, this, uh, the temple there to Artemis was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And uh, Artemis was the goddess of sexual fertility. And so there was all kinds of 
sexual licentiousness and debauchery that went along with the supposed worship of this Greek goddess. And uh, Ephesus was a leading cultural center as well. If you know anything about Greco-Roman culture, you know it's all founded on what's called Hellenism. You ever heard that term before? Hellenism. Hellenism was brought in by Alexander the Greek back in the 4th century... uh, Alexander the Great, I should say, excuse me, back in the 4th century B.C. And Hellenism, his, uh, his idea was not to conquer nations by force... And destroy all the people there and then set up his own authority per se. Instead, his idea was to, uh, to show people how much better Greek philosophy and Greek culture and Greek ways of life were. That was his idea. And, and so Hellenism was based on four pillars. Let's see if this sounds familiar. The four pillars of Hellenism, Greco-Roman world. It's what we know, by the way, I'm going to go ahead and foreshadow it, as Western civilization today. Okay? First pillar was education. Second pillar of Hellenism was health care. This is when hospitals started to come into play, was under Greco-Roman Hellenism, Greco-Roman culture. Number three, sports, athletics. And number four was entertainment. So those are the four pillars of Hellenism. Does that sound like American culture today? Education, healthcare, sports, and entertainment. Big deal, right? So everywhere that he would come in and conquer, he would make their culture better. He had his own euangelion. By the way, the word euangelion is where we get the word evangelism. It speaks of the good news, the gospel message. The reason that they play on that, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles and writers play on that in the New Testament is because this idea of a euangelion was already coming through Hellenism, through Alexander the Great. He, so he would come in and say, listen, I've got a message for you. I've, I've got a way of life for you. We're not here to kill you or destroy you. We're here just to make your life better. How many of you know that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light? Come on now. And so, uh, so he, he would bring this stuff in, right? And, and you, he would, they would build hospitals and coliseums for sports and entertainment and theaters and libraries and, you know, what they called the gymnasium was actually a place where they would do higher education. And, and so they had all of this stuff, right, that came. And so the reason I tell you that today is not to impress you with information. That's incredible context for us to understand that when you read all of these Pauline epistles, especially in the New Testament, he is writing directly to American culture. So the the book of Ephesians, he's going to talk about uh, sexual brokenness, relational brokenness, racial divisions, religious divisions, spiritual confusion. Does that sound like our culture today? And so what he says here is, how do you address, we want to know this, right? How do you address this culture? Like what what do we need, what does the church need to be all about and therefore the child of God? What do we need to be all about in this sexually broken, racially broken, relationally divided, spiritually confused culture? We need to be all about The gospel, the unadulterated, unequivocal gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first three chapters of Ephesus, or or, or of Ephesians, I should say, 
is all, it's incredible gospel doctrine. Tons of theology here, a lot of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. It's, it's, it's the foundations of the very gospel itself that we're going to see in chapters 1 through 3. And then in chapters 4 through 6, we see gospel living. So it's all about God's grace, chapters 1 through 3, what, what grace is all about, the doctrines of grace. But then chapters 4 through 6 are all about uh, the, the, the duology. That grace living. And so it's all about the grace. Listen, this culture doesn't need a little bit of pop psychology. You know, here's three little steps to a better life. Here, here's two little steps, you know, two steps to having a better marriage or, you know, three steps to having, you know, a better finances or, you know, and, and those things are important. But friends, listen to me. First and foremost, we need to know that we are dead in sin. Sinners separated from God cannot save ourselves. Our only hope is Jesus. Come on, church. Isn't that right? He is our only hope. It's all about grace, grace, grace. Grace is God's riches given to us at Christ's expense. What he did for us, unmerited favor. The gospel is not about performance. It's not about production. It's not about worldly success. It's not about measuring up or doing better or uh, or being all that God wants you to be. It's about who Christ is and what he did for us and the debt he paid for us on the cross and his resurrection life and his spirit now living within us. That's what the gospel is all about. And that's where we start right here in chapter one. We start with. The doctrines of grace and specifically the blessings. He, he, he says here, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many of you uh, want to say today you're blessed? Come on, declare it, testify today. Blessed in Jesus' name. If you're a child of God, we are blessed. And not just blessed, but we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ. Ephesians 1. Let's read together. Now let's dive into scripture. We've got a context. So uh, now for the rest of the, the rest of the series. So let's dive in. Ephesians chapter 1 starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints. Who are the saints? That's children of God. That's not, not some kind of super class of Christians. Saints are people who have turned from their sin and placed faith in Jesus. Listen, if you are, if you are a child of God, you once were a sinner, now you're a saint. Come on, isn't that good news today? And so, to the saints, that's believers, who are in Ephesus and are faithful. That's the call of God on our life, to be faithful in Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, it's not just a greeting, it's a blessing he's speaking over their life. And so our words matter. Come on, church, isn't that right? And so what we speak over others in Jesus' name matters. Uh, now, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There it is. Every spiritual blessing we have in Jesus. And then he'll go into those blessings, and that's what we're going to look at today. Five specific blessings that he names here. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, verse 13, look at this. In him, you. That's important to notice because the pronouns change. We'll get into that in just a moment. That ties into our, our idea and understanding of predestination and election in this passage. Big topic. What does it mean? Well, he tells us here. But notice the shift, verse 13. In him you also. He, he said we and us up to this point. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee? That word guarantee, it means a down payment. Earnest money put down on a house, so to speak. It's God's deposit in your soul. It's the proof you're saved. You're born again. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Blessed with every spiritual Blessing. Are you grateful for the grace of God today? Come on, church. We're grateful, right? So much he has given us in Christ. I haven't earned it. I can't earn it. Don't deserve it. In fact, we are sinners, enemies of God. Apart from Christ, we deserve the judgment of God. But aren't you glad Jesus took that for us on Calvary's cross? And so uh, in this passage, we see a gospel equation. Gospel equation. Jesus plus Nothing equals everything. That is grace. That's the gospel. Let me say it again. Jesus plus nothing equals everything in your life. And so it is by simple childlike faith as we repent of our sin and we turn to Jesus that we are given the free gift of eternal life. We don't earn it. Again, we don't deserve it. It's not by our effort. It's by what Jesus did for us. And we receive it by simple submission to him as king of our life. That's it. Jesus plus nothing is everything in your life. It's everything. Oh, how we need him, right? Oh, how we need him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And in this passage, he goes into... Now, this is not a... Uh, an exhaustive list of everything that comes in the gospel, but it sure is a pretty extensive list, isn't it? And, and uh, in this passage, we see uh, a big portion of that everything 
that comes in Christ. First of all, notice these blessings. First blessing he lists here is predestination. Predestination. You could also add the word election to this. He says here, Paul says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That choosing, that's the doctrine of election. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Predestination here, that word predestined is the word proorizo in the Greek. That's the root word. It means to predecide, to determine something ahead of time. Listen, before you and I ever came to be, before the very foundation of the world, God chose us unto salvation. Isn't that good news today? That's in the Bible. God shows you out. That's how much God loves you and I today. First John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God at all, but that he first loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation. That means the satisfaction of the wrath of God toward us, the atonement. He sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Predestined. The question in this passage then is, okay, well then, who or what is predestined? Does that mean that God has arbitrarily chosen who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost? Now, let me ask you a question. Did God know before the foundation of the world who would be saved and who would be lost? Is he perfectly omniscient? Yes, he is. He is perfectly omniscient. God knows all things perfectly, past, present, and future. He talks about that here, how this is all a plan for the fullness of time. God sees time like we see that water bottle. Uh, you and I can't see tomorrow. We know who holds tomorrow, amen, but we can't see tomorrow. God sees it all at once. And so he is perfectly omniscient. But we must understand the context of this passage. In Ephesus, you had a combination of both Jews and Gentiles that had come to faith. And you got, we got to understand the beginning of the New Testament church was very much a messianic Jewish thing. Think about it. In Jerusalem, day of Pentecost, who was it that got saved? Well, it was 3,000 Jewish folks who then became believers in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, if you will, in their mind. Uh, and that's how they got saved. Peter preaches the gospel there. 3,000 Jews get saved, and you have the, the church beginning there in, in Jerusalem. So the church of Jerusalem is the original mother church. And, and so this was very much a Jewish thing in people's minds as it was getting started. Okay? But now Paul comes to Ephesus and multiple other places in, in Gentile land, in Greco-Roman Hellenistic world. And he's preaching the gospel at the synagogues, by the way. That's where he would start if there was a synagogue in that place. And, and Jewish folks, you'd have some get saved. But then he would also begin to preach to the Gentile folks as well. And so you've got this combination, it's important, of both Jew and Gentile who are coming to faith. And so when he, you, 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 you remember me talking about the pronouns a moment ago, the difference in the pronouns. So when he says here that God predestined us, he adopted us, that we were the first, hello, to hope in Christ. Who were the first ones in this church to hope in Christ? It was ultimately, he's speaking, first of all, I believe to the Jewish folks. But then he also brings in the Jewish believers, I should say, that had placed faith in Christ. 
Now he says, but in him, you also. So who's the you? It's the Gentile people. So don't miss this. What he's saying is, this is so important. Because even Peter dealt with this. As you look in Acts chapters 12, 13, 14, right in that area, Peter even dealt with this prejudiced idea that it was only Jewish folks, right? He wasn't supposed to go to the Gentiles. And God chastised him there. In the book of Galatians, Paul says, man, I had to get up in Peter's face and say, dude, it ain't just about the Jewish people, man. This is about the Gentiles too. And so what he's saying is, it's important for you and I because we're all Gentiles here. I would say there may be one or two Jewish heritage folks here, but we're all Gentile folks. What he's saying is before Abraham was called out, before my predestined chosen people, that language is used in the Old Testament to speak of Israel. He said before that predestined group, God's way of salvation, hello, has always been about Jesus. It's never been about keeping the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial laws. That just pointed to Jesus. Kosher dietary laws and, and all this stuff. He said it's not about that. That was simply a tutor to bring you to Jesus. The way of salvation has always been about Christ. In, in fact, the phrase in Christ or in him is used a, uh, or at least nine times in this section of scripture. In Christ and in him, that phrase, those two phrases are used no less than 35 times in this book. What's the point? I really believe what he's saying here is the predestined way of salvation is in Christ, ultimately. What he's doing here is not shortening the breadth or the width, if you will, of salvation. He is widening the net of the gospel. What he's saying is God's predestined way of salvation was not being a Jew and being circumcised and keeping all those laws. Uh, it was always about being in Christ, and it's always meant to be for the nations. Come on, somebody. That's what he's saying. At the end of the day, let's summarize it. Did God choose us? Yes. Did you choose God? Yes. I messed you up on that one, didn't I? Did you choose God? Yes. Somehow both are, are taught clearly in God's word. For the Hellenistic mind, that's me and you. By the way, the next person that tells me America is the new Israel, uh, we might we might arm wrestle right there in Jesus' name. Uh, we, uh, America is not Israel. We're not the new Israel. We've never been the new Israel. We are we are the bastion of Babylonian Hellenistic junk in our world today. It's exactly what we are. I understand, God, you know, a Christian foundation in our laws and our structures. I don't deny that, but and I'm not here to debate that today. But I'm telling you, when you look right now, are we promoting God stuff or Hellenistic junk in our world? Sexual immorality and brokenness and all this stuff. The Bible says in the last days, the great Babylon will be the one who will promote, who, who, who will prostitute itself with the world. That's America. America. So let's be wise, right, to the times and, and let's, and let's step you know, outside that culture and the way we live. And that's what he's calling us to here. A gospel way of life in this series. But here's the deal. For the Hellenistic mind, it's logic. Right? It can't be both one, you know, he chose us and we chose him. For the Eastern mind, okay? So let, let's be Eastern today. Let's lean into some Hebrew 
way of thinking. To the Hebrew, mystery's great. <laughs> it's okay. Mystery's okay. Aren't you glad we serve a God that's bigger than we can get our mind around? Theology. For all my, my, my theologians in the room. Theos, logos. Combo word. The logical deduction of God. Can you logically deduce God? Is theology important? Yes. Don't hear me saying that doctrine is bad. But friends, at the end of the day, we have to submit our opinions. That's what it is. We have to submit our opinions to the mystery of God and ultimately to the scripture. But even with the black and white, the black and white, the black words on the white pages, we still have to swim in mystery and be okay with that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, look at this. Here's, here's your proof text, I really believe, for this idea of really more a corporate election, really, if you want to say that, in this book. Okay, both Jews and Gentiles, anyone who's in Christ is saved. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This is the mystery of the gospel. Right before that, he said, this mystery has been withheld from us for ages, and now the apostles are bringing it out through the church. This new thing called the church. This is the mystery, that the Gentiles are what? Fellow heirs. Anybody else want to do some raising the roof today? We're fellow heirs. We're in it. Not just Jewish folks, right? That's the deal. And they're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, so let's put it all in context. But oh, what a blessing, is it not? To be elected, to be chosen. Predestination typically speaks more of the redemptive purpose of God and the purpose of his choosing us, which is that we would be holy. Come on now. And blameless. Set apart for the gospel. And so, uh, so did God choose us? Yes. Did we choose God? Yes. I love Adrian Rogers' statement, great preacher of old, and he said it like this. He said, listen, we don't know who the elect are, so let's just nominate them all. Hey! Let's just nominate them all, man. And just, and just let God sort it out. And so predestination, what a blessing. All right, y'all gotta listen faster. I got four more of these. All right. Number two, I'm gonna move through this quickly. Adoption. Second blessing of the gospel and the grace of God in Christ is adoption. Adoption, we know, means to formally and legally declare that one who was not your child is now your child. He or she is entitled to all the same rights, protections, and provisions of the biological child. How many of you know today we are heirs? Of God and joint heirs with Jesus. Everything that is his is mine. I am not God. I don't deserve the praise that he deserves. He is above me. But yet somehow I am joint heir with Jesus. I walk in his authority. What he says I have, I have. What he names, I can claim in Jesus' name. Man, we're adopted into the family of God. No longer slaves. That context is used uh, most often in the New Testament. It says we were once slaves, now sons and daughters of God when speaking of our adoption. Adoption is extensive. In Roman culture, this is interesting. In Roman law, you could give up your own child. And every parent of a teenager says, amen. I'm kidding, right? Well, I'm kidding. So, but you could give up your... Your bio- you could literally give up a biological child. But if you adopted a child under Roman law, you were never legally allowed to disown that child. 
So part of the picture, uh, oh, do you see it? Part of the picture here is when it says we're adopted, it's forever. Isn't that good news today? It's forever. It speaks to the security that we have in Christ. How we didn't earn our salvation. I don't keep it either. This is all now my new position in Christ. And yes, he comes in and transforms my life. It's not once saved, always saved and live however you want to. And, you know, once baptized, live a hellion and go to heaven. That, that's that's not how it works, right? When the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, we're transformed, we're changed. Not perfection, but direction of life. Okay? But the truth is, I don't have to keep my salvation. You don't let God down. Because you ain't holding Him up. He's holding you up. He's holding me up today by His grace. We're adopted. It's extensive, but it's also extravagant, isn't it? That He would choose to adopt a wretch, a sinner like me. Sinners like us. Oh, we're adopted. Number three, let's keep moving. Redemption. Third blessing he refers to here is redemption. Uh, to be redeemed means to be bought back. It carries the idea of a slave who was purchased by someone, then released by that master to live a free life, a life of joy and of freedom. This redemption was paid for, come on somebody, not with silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our redemption was paid for, it says here, by His blood. Whenever I think about redemption in our context, I think about coupons. Come on somebody. Uh, have I got any coupon mamas in the house? My wife loves a good coupon. And uh, coupons, right? They're vouchers. Now they're on your phone a lot of times now, an email or something. But you got a voucher that you turn in it at the store and you get that discount that's listed on that voucher for that specific product. My favorite coupon is a BOGO. Come on now. Buy one, get one free. Salvation is the greatest BOGO offer in the history of mankind. Jesus bought it and I get it free. Come on somebody, isn't that good news? That's redemption. He bought it. I get it free by simply submitting to him as king of my heart and of my life. Redeemed. Also with our redemption comes forgiveness. He says here we're forgiven of our sins. Child of God, today your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven in Christ. It's already forgiven. We're not defined by our sin. We're defined by the grace, the very grace of God himself. Forgiveness, the penalty of sin was paid on Calvary's cross. That speaks of our forgiveness. But also forgiveness means the power of sin has been broken. The word forgiveness, hello, carries the idea of being liberated Liberated. Whenever I think about liberation, I think about that that video in on April 9th, 2003, when those Marines pulled up in that tank and pulled down that statue. Some of you may have been there in Iraq at that time, pulled down that statue of Saddam Hussein right there in Baghdad. And all those, that big crowd of Iraqis, what did they do? Man, they they were having a party, buddy. In the streets. Whenever we give our heart to Jesus, Jesus walks in and he overthrows that devil and he tears down his statue and he destroys his dictatorial rule over our life and we are liberated for all of eternity. Listen, the next time the devil tries to tempt you 
or accuse you or condemn you, right, or attack you, you just remind him, I've been liberated from your power and sin's power. Yeah. Redeemed. Number four. Let's keep moving. Fourthly here, we also see the gift of revelation. How many of you know today God will show you his will? He'll show you his will. It says here that he has made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, that mystery, Ephesians 3, putting those two together. Again, it's speaking of the the Jew and Gentile believers now together in one family. So the initial context is talking about the mystery of the predestined purpose of God in salvation. Uh, But also here specifically... I believe we can apply this to our personal lives as well. God reveals to us the mystery of his will in our personal lives as well when we seek him. And he says here that the mystery of his will, he set forth in who? Christ. And so the will of God, it's like one uh, one of my pastor mentors uh, used to say to me. He said this. He said, listen, Derek, the, the will of God is always Jesus. The will of God is always Jesus. What does that mean? When I am in Christ, in prayer, in his word, in worship, in his church, not running from God when I mess up, but understanding the gospel and finding my identity there, that I'm loved, that I'm not condemned, I am forgiven, I don't have to walk in shame and guilt, I can even confess sin to another brother or sister in Christ and know they'll pray for me, and I don't have to live in shame, right? So when I'm in Christ, in prayer, in worship, in his word, in the church, when I'm staying in that place, God will reveal his will to me. Let me give you three words. You want to know the will of God for your life? Pray, stay And obey. Pray, stay, and obey. Pray. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Yet it's hard to do. We get in our flesh and we want to do life in our own power. But seek the Lord in prayer. Number two, stay. Stay in the word. Stay in the church. And and wait upon God. And then number three, obey. When God speaks... Whether it's through his word or through prayer or through another believer, when God speaks and it becomes clear to you what his will is for your life, obey it. Trust him. And it may not, it may not line up with man's wisdom. Hey, get all, research all the stuff, get all the facts, lay out your pros and your cons on all your decision making, but then we gotta lay all that stuff down, don't we? At the foot of the cross. And say, okay, Lord. You, you've worked through this, you've given some wisdom and illumination, but ultimately I'm going to surrender this to you. What's your will? And God will speak. Okay, revelation, but the number five, and we're done this morning, inheritance. Inheritance. As children of God, we have obtained. It is our present possession. We have obtained the riches of the glorious grace of God already. We already have an incredible inheritance. Isn't that good news today? A lot of folks love the idea of going to heaven when they die. Not so much heaven coming to earth in their daily life. And that's the life God calls us to. The inheritance he gives us is ours to appropriate now in Jesus. Spiritual blessings. Jesus, think about this in terms of the inheritance. Jesus wrote us. Into his will before the foundation of the world. 
Then he came and died for our sins to secure our place in that will. But not only that, he rose from the dead so that he can return as judge and ensure the terms of that will are followed. Inheritance. Oh, glorious, glorious grace. Amen. Today, have you received Jesus? Have you received the grace of God? Oh, how He loves you and me today. And He invites us to know Him, into relationship with Him, into that grace. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. So glad you could join us. If you've given your heart to Jesus, text Hope Jesus, all one word, text Hope Jesus to 77411. Hope Jesus 77411. And let me encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. If you hadn't done that already, make sure to hit that subscribe button and share it out. You never know whose life might be changed by simply sharing this message today. So share it out. Okay? And so thank you again for listening in. And we invite you to listen in with us next week.